So we are in a uh, summer sermon series now focusing on Christ-like leadership in a world of outrage. That's the title of this series. And again, I'll remind you that we're doing a a class on Wednesday nights that runs uh, simultaneous Hey Blake, they run simultaneous with uh, with this with this series, and Ribble Shelley's joining me this Wednesday, and then Hunter Mobley will join me the next. So if you can come on Wednesday, we'd love to have you. It's especially geared for our uh, incoming leaders and also uh, for our current leaders here at the church. But it's open to anybody, uh, and we're picking up on some of the same things. But the basic premise of this series is that we live in a world where pretty much every single day there is something new to be outraged about. Uh, Everything is breaking news. The entire news industry tries to keep people outraged. Have you noticed this? But I said last week that you can only be outraged so many times before you become completely exhausted. Human beings are not wired to be outraged all the time. So I believe that in this environment, leadership really matters. And for those of us who call ourselves Christians, Christ-like leadership really matters. We're called to follow Jesus, which means that we need to pay attention to his teachings. Uh, Being a disciple means learning from Jesus and being more and more like him as we live our lives, doing the things that he did, serving the way that he served, loving the way that he loved. We, uh, we have this new uh, dog uh, named Bear, and he's about six months old now. Sweet dog, golden retriever, Christmas present for the kids. Seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, and last week I came home from church and Bear had eaten a purple marker. Um, and not only that, but Bear was spitting up purple ink. Um, so Bear had his first uh, leadership, or not leadership, uh, uh, obedience class uh, this week because um, Bear needs to learn how to act. He needs to learn how to behave. Uh, he needs to learn what is acceptable and what is not. Well, guess what? The same thing is true in discipleship. We have to be taught what it means to follow Jesus. Disciple, the same word as discipline. What it means to have spiritual disciplines what it means to to make sure that we're carving out time for Bible study and for prayer and for worship and all the things that keep us uh, centered in our faith. If you stop and think about it, the COVID pandemic has only enhanced this outrage culture. It was there before, but during COVID, pretty much any decision that was made about shutdowns, about closings, about masks, about what we can or can't do in schools, in churches, has been controversial. People on all the sides will say, follow the science, follow the science. People have have not been able to agree on what is safe and what is not, what should be allowed and what shouldn't. And, And I believe that unfortunately, the pandemic took many people in our culture to a difficult place, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. Clearly, we lost lots of people. Uh, So physically, we lost hundreds of thousands of people in in the country and across the globe. But it certainly calls people to wonder, you know, who can I be around? Uh, Many families went for a long time without seeing each other. Many families lost loved ones. Friends have had different understandings of what is safe and what isn't. And throughout all of this, what I see is outrage, 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 outrage. 
I can't believe you're doing that. I can't believe you're not wearing a mask. I can't believe you won't let your kids come over and play at our house. I can't believe you won't go get vaccinated. And all of this, I think, has taken its toll on all of us. How could it not? I've never lived through anything quite like this. Some of you that are older than me, maybe you feel like you have. But I've never lived through anything quite like this. Why does leadership matter? That's, one, that's the question we're asking this month, during the month of June. Leadership matters because in the midst of stressful times, when people don't agree, when people point fingers at each other and blame each other and get angry with each other, leaders have to step up and make decisions. And guess what? Not everybody is going to agree with all the decisions that are made. It's impossible. But decisions still have to be made and life still presses forward. Tony Jarvis was the headmaster of uh, the Roxbury Latin School, which is a school in Boston for many years. And Tony passed away a couple years ago after a brave battle with cancer. But he, he published this great book a, a while back called With Love and Prayers. And, and he talks a lot about leadership in the book. And this is what Jarvis says. He says, whatever power a leader has is overshadowed by the cares and responsibilities that go with leadership. Whatever prestige a leader has is overshadowed by the second guessing and the criticism that he receives for the decisions that he makes. Leadership does not confer happiness. In other words, leadership is not easy. Never has been, never will be easy. Jarvis says this, leaders are caught in a catch-22. If a leader is strong, undeterred by projection, blame, and calumny, then he's labeled as arrogant, as authoritarian, as dictatorial. But if he or she sets aside his initiatives, goes with the way the wind is blowing, if he backs down at all, he's immediately labeled as weak and as a waffler. Again, leadership will never be easy, but leadership is important. I do think that if we look to Jesus, we find one of the best models of leadership ever demonstrated in the history of the world. Jesus taught servant leadership. Jesus taught humble leadership. Jesus taught compassionate leadership. And he lived and he modeled the way that he wants us to lead. What were the things that were important to Jesus? Let's go back into our, our reading this morning from Matthew 5, where he warns against the dangers of anger and irritability and the importance of reconciliation. One time I asked uh, my friend and New Testament scholar, A.J. Levine, uh, what are we to do with the fact that Jesus tells us that it's wrong to get angry, and yet we find all these examples in the scriptures where Jesus gets angry? Think about it. He cleanses a temple and drives out the money changers. He calls out the scribes and Pharisees for their piousness and hypocrisy on multiple occasions. He curses the fig tree. He rebukes Peter. He becomes indignant when the disciples were trying to keep the children away from him. And you know what, what A.J. Levine said back to me? It was a very interesting response. She said, we have to remember that Jesus was fully human and fully divine, but we can hold Jesus to his own ethic set forth in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus did get angry, but he was fully aware of the dangers and consequences of anger. And he was very interested in identifying the root cause of anger. Where does it come from? 
What are the things in life that, that make us mad, that get us worked up, that, 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 that get us upset? We do live in a culture. Y'all like how I'm just rocking back and forth? It's probably, probably a good thing for me on this time. We live in a culture where there is a lot of anger and irritability and resentment. And there are a lot of people that are not at peace with themselves and, and they project that onto others. And what's sad is that a lot of people don't know that they're angry or why they're angry. They're just angry. And they're carrying around a big chip on their shoulder and it shows. And anger always seems to come out at the wrong point towards the wrong person. Ralph Waldo Emerson famously said, for every minute of anger, you lose 60 seconds of happiness in your life. And guess what? You can't get it back. Aristotle, anybody can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power. And that is not easy. All human beings deal with anger irritability, frustration on some level, some more than others. You know, anger is, an, is a human emotion. It's tied to fear. If you talk to psychologists, they'll tell you it's tied to fear. But anger affects every aspect of our lives, our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. Anger leads to physical problems. If you talk to doctors, high blood pressure, stress, the inability to focus, it leads to heart attacks, strokes, cancer, makes people drink a lot, makes people smoke a lot of cigarettes. Anger can also make people sarcastic where they lose their sense of humor, causes them to raise their voice, and it even drives them to say and do things they wouldn't otherwise do. But Jesus knew the danger of anger because he lived it. And so he warned against it. Jesus knew that in life, cooler heads always prevail. The people who can stay calm and collected always do better. Paul talks about anger. In Colossians, get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. In Ephesians, be angry but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another. James talks about anger. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. And then in the passage from this morning, Jesus says, if you've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. Then he goes on. When you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Last week, we were looking at the beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Do you remember that? And we talked about intent and motive. Why do we do the things we do? Why do we think the things we think? Jesus was very much interested in that question. If you look at all of his teachings, all of his parables, he's wrestling with that question. What is our intent? What is our motive? Jesus says this in the 10 commandments. You, you shall not murder. What leads to murder? 
anger. That's where it starts. Jesus says, you shall not commit adultery. What leads to adultery? Lust. You have to deal with your lust. Does that make sense? That's what he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount. So if we're trying to be Christ-like leaders, if we're trying to apply this text to our lives, what do we take from the passage for today? First of all, we need to do our very best to understand ourselves and, and, and to understand the root causes of our anger and our frustration in life. Anger is a symptom, but what is it a symptom of? It might be frustration. It might be stress. It might be being exhausted or keeping your feelings bottled up. It might be being, mis, being misunderstood or ignored. Uh, it might be work. It might be a bad marriage. It might be not getting exercise, fear, worry. There's all kinds of possibilities. Uh, relationships play a role. Grief plays a role. Jealousy plays a role. Your personal history and the things that you've been through in life, that matters as well. And sometimes, you know, it takes going to therapy to a counselor uh, to unpack things from your past. And if that helps you deal with it, then that is money well spent, in my opinion. Now, there is a difference between being angry at a person and being angry at a situation. So many times when we're angry at a situation, we turn around and we take it out on a person. And that person doesn't deserve it. <laughs> Sometimes that person had absolutely nothing to do with it. And so we, we have to figure out uh, how to not project our anger that's supposed to be towards a situation onto a person. When you're in leadership, many of you know this in your business or uh, at schools or in church or even in families, that people will project their feelings onto a leader like that. And you have to recognize that what's coming at you has very little to do with you. <laughs> it has to do with something else that's going on in their lives. It has little to do with you. Secondly, we must find healthy ways to deal with anger and stress and resentment and irritability. Um, some people, I think, did a lot better job with this during the pandemic. Some people were good. Some people weren't. Some people had healthy habits during uh, the lockdowns. Other people didn't. A few years ago, I came across a, uh, it was an article, and it said, here are 10 ways for you to deal with, with, with anger when you have it in your life. And I've come back to this as a leader from time to time. The first one was this. When you're angry, just say nothing for a while. Give yourself time to cool off. Second was try to be indifferent to those who wish to make you angry. Third, use reason to stop your anger. Fourth, be kind and compassionate to other people. Fifth, value peace more than anger. Sixth, always try to understand those who are critical and don't just try to defend yourself. Seventh, focus your attention on something completely different. Eight, breathe deeply. Nine, learn to meditate and reflect. Somebody once said, if, if, if somebody promised you a pill that didn't cost you anything, that would take away your stress, that would lower your blood pressure, that would make you be more at peace, would you take the pill? And most would say, yeah, I would take the pill. What's the pill? Meditation, reflection, prayer. But we don't do that on a regular basis. But that's the pill. That helps focus you and center you. 
In my adult life, I've come to truly believe that the way we, we handle our frustration, our anger in life is a true test to our spiritual lives. Third point this morning. We need to understand what Jesus is saying about the importance of reconciliation and how there is a proactive component to it. We must take the initiative to go and provide healing. He's saying if you have a relationship in your life that needs to be fixed or repaired, then go fix it. You may have to say, I'm sorry, or please forgive me. That takes humility and maturity, and those are both good things. Some people are very slow to go and fix a relationship or a friendship. And the truth of the matter is, life is too short for that. Uh, many people have died unexpectedly and they never got to repair or heal a relationship that was broken. And then it's too late. You have to live with it. If, if you at least go and try, then you won't have any regrets. So many people in this world have lost loved ones or family members and they wish they could have them back so they could tell them just one thing but they can't, and they have to wrestle with that. Reconciliation is not easy work, it's not comfortable work. It's much easier just to avoid it, but that's not the right answer. Lastly, this morning, we need to understand that Jesus is basically saying that retaliation only keeps the cycle going. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. With these famous words, Jesus is advocating the importance of self-control and self-restraint. And how by not retaliating, we can often expose the person who lashes out first. And he again reminds us that although many things will happen that are out of our control, how we respond to them or don't respond to them is always in our control. Tony Jarvis said this, the prophets of Israel were ridiculed and despised and stoned to death for what they said and did. Jesus was crucified. By the standards of this world, they were not prosperous and successful. They were failures. But 2,500 years later, the prophets of Israel still influence us. And that Jewish peasant from Nazareth still attracts to himself a billion followers. Their lonely, constructive lives, their ideals and values could not be destroyed. Because these values are timeless. And this is what our world needs. It's been said before, I, my old boss in New York, Jim Forbes, he, uh, he would say, you know, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth would make the whole world blind and toothless. I think it's a Gandhi quote. And I think there's truth to that because I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in a blind and toothless world. Jesus calls us to a higher standard. If we want to lead and live like Christ, then we have to follow his teachings. Turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, control your temper, control your anger. And in the end, those who are able to control their anger and their words and their actions will be the ones who are able to keep peace, make peace, and also keep friends in the process. This is not easy. Christ-like leadership in a, in a world of outrage and anger and division is not easy, 
But I promise you, if we can take these teachings and if we can apply them to our lives, it's a much healthier, happier way to live. Amen.